Hello and welcome back to WA Real. I'm your host, Bryn Edwards. WA Real follows the oldest form of learning, that of listening to the stories and experience of those around us and capturing those stories. Why is that? So you can freely explore them to get a greater sense of self. Today, we're going to be deep diving into the world of public speaking, the fear around that and tools and techniques for how to conquer it and overcome it with my guest, Shil Shangavi. Shil, thank you very much for coming. <laughs> thank you for having me. I'm sure we are going to deep dive uh, properly into public speaking and I'm delighted to be here. Superb. So um, I like to keep things a little bit topical at the start. Um, obviously, we're in this disrupted environment. How are you finding this both personally and for your business? Personally, it started off really difficult. Yeah. I think like everybody, I was blindsided by how quickly this all hit. And the first couple of days was really difficult for my mindset and my stress levels and anxiety and all of that. Um, and which, which ties into the impact it's had on my business as well. You know, the first week or so was hard. I had 80% of my work either postponed or canceled, which then added a lot more stress and anxiety to my personal life. But then out of it all, I realized, like everybody, we've got a choice. We can either stress and worry and panic, or we can wake up in the morning and think about things and just appreciate what we actually do have and work with what we do have. And that's the approach I took. So it's been difficult. It's been challenging. All the things that I'm sure most people are saying. However, there is opportunity. And I have found a lot of opportunity. And I suppose by finding that opportunity, it's strengthened my mindset. It's given me more confidence, a more positive outlook. And as a result of that, I've won work. I've won clients. I've had inquiries and collaborations. So it is difficult. It's a new way of working however i'm doing okay out of it all good good sounds like you've been on a journey yourself in that time i have i have it is it's one of the uh, my my there's been so many instances in, in my life where i've been faced with adversity or resilience so there's been really difficult things that have happened and this is just and i don't mean to disrespect the situation but this is just another one yes this is something else that's been thrown my way and i can either stress and panic or i can embrace adapt and thrive and i choose to embrace adapt and thrive and find a way to make it work is there um, it's interesting you should talk about this is there almost like a step process or an internal dialogue that you go through that you can share? I go through an internal dialogue for most things that I do. <laughs> for most things. My, 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 my wife, my best friends, my family, they all, they all call me a robot, you know, cause I am so, I, because I'm, and, and we'll, we'll come to your question about why this applies specifically, but I'm so OCD about things. There's a process to everything. There's a system to everything. The internal dialogue I have, there's a system to that as well. But simply put, it's a model which I developed called EAT. 
and EAT stands for Embrace, Adapt, Thrive. You know, when you're put into a situation, embrace the situation. Embrace what you're going through, as crazy as that sounds. Embrace what you're in. Adapt to the situation you're in. Build a system, build a plan, and then out of that, thrive. Find a way to thrive in the situation you're in. And so that's the internal dialogue which I go through. It's always, how can I eat the situation instead of the situation eating me? Oh, that's sweet. That's sweet. Does that make sense? It, I, I love it. I love it. I'm interested that you, you know, call yourself a robot. That sound, makes you sound very sort of left-hand side of the brain. How do you deal with the right-hand side of the brain? I, I, I am, look, I talk about this in my presentations a lot. I, I I think I'm a bit of, like everybody, I think I'm a bit of both, but yes, I'm, yeah. I'm, 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 I'm more, I mean, I'll give an example, and this is really crazy. I live in a two-bedroom apartment. When I wake up in the morning, the, the walk from our bedroom to my kitchen is 22 steps. <laughs> if I don't hit 22 steps, I start again, <laughs> I go back and start again. You know, the, the, the volume on the television has got to be five or zero. Those are the increments it needs to be on. The coasters must sit flush, magazines, so things, even the way my laptop is at the moment, it's all very flush and squared so that it fits my system and my thought process. So everything very from, symmetrical. Where does that come from? I think over the years, I've just, the, 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 the systems I've had to develop internally for me to be able to speak the way I do is all so controlled and so precise that I just, without even being conscious about it, I just applied to everything I do now. Right. It, it, it's been years of being afraid of things and not being able to do things and being told I can't do things and being told no and shot down just consistently. And then whenever it happens, finding a way to get past it. And in order to find a way to get past it, it's, it's, it's like you, it's like you tune your radio channel and you just find that right tune. But in order to get there, you've really got to get everything right. Yes. Yeah. That that's, that's how I see it in my mind. That's how I sense it in myself as well. So it sounds almost like you, you found what works for Shill in one area and now you've gone and applied it into lots of different others. Correct. Mm. Yeah. If it works, amplify it. Yes. Amplify it into other areas of your life. And if it doesn't work in other areas of your life, okay, you learn from it and then you figure out what works. In general, though, like I... I uh, there, there are things I do which are an extreme. Uh, how, how, however, I've been forced to do these things. And so it might seem extreme to some. However, to me, it's normal. To me, mm. it's how I'm built. It's how I am. Whereas to others, it would just be too much. We can't do that. But you've never had to do it. So I understand why it's extreme yes. to you. You haven't been faced with the situation or had to go that far into yourself to go and find the answer. No. And, and I, I know there are people out there who have, I know there are people out there who've got 
uh, similar stories or experiences and their own way of channeling things. However, just in my, my, my journey and my experiences, I've met so many people who've point blank said, you're crazy. <laughs> it's extreme. And I go, yep, yep. In your world, it is. Yes. In my world, it's very world. normal. In yeah. your map of the world, to your lens of the world, what I'm doing looks crazy. Yep. But you standing on your map of the world. Something, something as simple as you know, there, there are there are times where I'm up early, you know, just because I want to get out. I want to get some air, so I'll take a walk down to the park. I'll put my music in my ears. I'll meditate on the walk, and it's it's quarter to six. It's still dark. It's early. To some people, that's what they do every single day. But to others, why on earth would you get up at that time to go for a walk into the park? It's a crazy thing to do. Well, yes, in your world it is. However, in my world, it's very normal to do that. Yes. So I imagine adding a bit more depth and context to what you just said. Mm -hmm. If I asked you the question, so why public speaking? Why, why is it so important? What's the story behind that? Public speaking, uh, we've, we've heard of the fear of public speaking. I'm sure you've heard of this fear of public speaking. Yeah. For me- we'll Dive more into that generally yeah. a bit later. For me, it is unequivocally, without a doubt, the most frightening thing I could have ever faced and I have ever faced and that I still continue to face even though I do it. So it's one, the fear factor. Uh, but the more personal story is my stutter. In order for me to control it the way I now can, I, I, I realized I had to face a fear. And the more I built my fluency, the more I built my confidence, I thought, why don't, why not try to test yourself in front of an audience now? So I tested myself. And so I've been so scared of it my whole life. I still am scared of it, despite the fact that I specialize in it. But it was the only way for me to really master controlling my stutter. And so that's why. It was the only way for me to do it. Mm. And, and just to give us an insight, is, is, is the stuff that you had something from birth, from early age? It's from an early age. So my, my parents pinpointed back to when I was about 10 years old. And yeah, it's been, it's been crap. It's been really hard you know, to, as a kid, to live with it is it just sucks. Kids, kids don't understand. And, and then when you get older, you know, going through your life as a teenager, it's very difficult for other kids to understand. There's bullying, there's teasing. Then you get to university where you're, where you're a bit more grown up. And so you need to communicate a bit more then. That's difficult. And then you get into the corporate environment where you're expected to network, to socialize, to present, have coffees. And it's just, it affects everything, mm. everything. 
So when and what was the the point where you decided to really obviously double down and go into the world of public speaking and, and how did that journey come about? There's been, pl it's been plenty of occasions, but the, the, suppose the one, one of the occasions which stands out was I was asked to do a talk. I was asked to do a presentation and I thought it was a good chance to shine. You know, I, and it was a high value project and I just crumbled. I really, it was terrible. And the look on everybody's face in the meeting room of we, we never got it. And it was obvious we weren't going to get it in the room because of how bad I was. I mean, I was sweating everywhere. I couldn't get my words out. It was really terrible. Uh, but that was icing on the cake on top of hundreds of incidents where I'd, I'd, I, there was a time where I went to a networking event and somebody asked me for my name. I couldn't get my name out. And I tried so hard that the, 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 the reflex made me bite my lip and I started bleeding everywhere. And to the group I was standing around, they didn't understand why. I knew why, but it was so embarrassing that I just left. And there's been so many of those incidences now where I've, I haven't felt like I want to see friends or go out to events or all those things. But one, one which stands out, which was, I suppose, an accumulation of everything was this, this presentation I gave. So where did you go from there then? From there, I made a commitment to myself that it wouldn't happen again. That would never happen again. And so I started practicing at home, in the shower, while driving. I put so much time, just hours and hours into what can I do to say words clearly? What can I do to calm down, control it? What techniques can I learn to distract my mind so I can speak clearly? And so from that presentation, I went into this obsessive, completely obsessive, what do I need to do to control this? And invested hours and hours and hours into it uh, with family, with friends at home, putting myself into situations where, say, for example, if I went out to dinner with, with my family, I would, I would offer to take everybody's order and then call the order out to the waiter, to the waitstaff, I mean, because that to me was a form of public speaking. Or on a Monday when I go to soccer, I would, I would give the team talk before we start. You know, so I'd consistently do things like this just to push myself. And then eventually I got better and not got better, but I got more fluent and thought, why not try this in front of an audience? <laughs> willingly. And it was terrible. <laughs> yeah, yes, willingly. And it wasn't good <laughs> at all. Right. <laughs> at all. So was that, you had to uh, double down again and go a bit further with it? Yeah, yeah. Uh, every time. Even now, you know, but, but especially in the early days when I started, I remember I would get up in front of an audience and uh, just the in 
the anxiety is enormous. You know, wouldn't sleep for days, sometimes weeks, stressing out about it. And I'd present terribly. If I had my notes in my hand, my hand would shake the whole time and I'd tremble. There would be times I would throw up before I presented. And every time I did it, I walked away and I thought, huh, I'm still here. You know, like that, that was, it was terrible, but I'm still here. And so what do I need to do to make sure I don't do the terrible again? And every time I did that, I wouldn't try to focus on everything, but I just try to focus on one or two things. And I'd fix the one or two things on my next time and do the same again and do the same again. Because I realized if I tried to fix everything, it's too much. It's too yes. overwhelming. So bite-sized chunks. I broke it down into miniature bite-sized chunks. And then I'd obsess over how to fix the bite-sized chunks at home so that when I next get in front of an audience, those one or two areas are under control. Then I, then I worry about the next ones. So can you give us an idea of what, like, two or three, what would the bite-sized chunks look or feel like? But so one of the bite-sized chunks would be my breathing. Get my, I, I breathe in a very controlled and systematic way. But to get your breathing under control in that way, it, it's not a natural thing. You need to practice it. So through my meditation, through practicing at home, I would time my breathing to when certain words or sentences are coming out. So that was a bite-sized chunk I worked on. Another one is the language I use. Un understanding what words sit where. Un understanding if there's a word I can swap or replace in a sentence and why I would need to do that. How it sounds to the audience. Does it make sense to them? Because to me, it makes sense. It's not about me. It's about what I'm telling the audience. So mm. it's great for me to swap a word, but does it make sense to the audience? So those are two examples of bite-sized chunks. They're probably the bigger bite-sized yeah. chunks I worked on, but there are two examples. Mm. So does that make sense? It, it does. It does because um, it's almost taking little bits and then layering and layering and layering and layering. It, um, it makes sense to me because... I was very fortunate in the early part of my career to work at a company where the culture was, um, so the owner, the MD, the ops manager were all um, master practitioners in NLP. And we, were, we went through a three-day presentation course that started with the most basic things of stand in a horseshoe and and you had to have you had to hold everybody's rapport just by looking at them and and he, the exercise didn't stop in, until every until everyone had their hand up at the same time and then when you had done that then we did another bit and 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 it's only i, I didn't kind of realize the gift that that was giving me at that point in time i was 27 28 um, and now there are so many things that I fall back on from that experience. So, but the thing it taught me was, is, is like you've just said, concentrate on one thing, get good at it, put it in and then stick another layer on and another layer on and another layer yeah. on. 
you you can't once you get good at the one thing though you you can't just put that away you need to keep evolving the one thing so as as you said the layers you build the layers and and so say for example if 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 there's six six parts to it and you built your six layers it doesn't mean you forget about one and two as you get to five and six you got to still keep we're working on one and two. Yes. Then you have to work on five and six at the same time. And that's what makes somebody a complete presenter is knowing all of it, which way to move, which way, when, when to look at a person, how long to look at a person without, without it being too creepy, too long. And it's a bit creepy, too short. You look a bit, unsure of yourself, when to elevate your voice, when to adjust your pitch and your tone, when to move from right to left and where to anchor yourself somewhere. There's all these different things which come into it. And I just, now through the process that I've been through, I'm, I'm fascinated by, I'm obsessed by it because I think when somebody has the ability to be in front of an audience and you know, th- through the power of your language, through the power of speech, you can inspire, you can challenge, you can motivate, you can move. It's, it's so powerful. Yes, um, of course I have the bias because it's something I do, but I genuinely feel it is so powerful when somebody can do it and do it well. Yes. That I'm completely fascinated by it now. I mean, I suppose the blunt response is how many people have had great ideas but not been able to articulate? And how many of those do we remember? Correct. <laughs> so how did Chill go from where you were to TEDx coach and founder of Chatterbox? Quite simply, I had this, I, I the the more I was able to talk, the fluency improved. And I realized from being somebody who's always been afraid of speaking, I've now become this chatterbox because I just enjoyed speaking so much. <laughs> Hence the name. <laughs> I quit my full-time job on a Friday. On the Monday, I was shilled from chatterbox. Brilliant. It was that I cut the cord like that. And on the Friday after I went to my first event, terrified, absolutely terrified, because now I was introducing me as Chatterbox with this flimsy business card that was poorly designed. Uh, and I, 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 I knew in myself what I was and what, what, sorry, what I wanted to be. Yes. But telling somebody who asked me, so what do you do? Because that's such a common question, right? And saying, I'm sure from Chatterbox, it was terrifying to say that because it's now me. There's, there's nothing, there's no one else to back it up. It's me. Yeah. And so that's it was that. Yep, that's it. That's it. I'm brand Chatterbox. There's nothing else but me. And so I quit on a Friday. On Monday, I was Chatterbox. The Friday after, I, I remember giving out my first card to somebody and I felt really awesome. I thought, wow, that's, that's me. Take my card. It was really cool. And so t- TEDx came around 
so I've, I've always been very anxious of going to networking. It, it's been, I, it causes me a lot of stress and, and nerves because I'm, I'm very afraid that if I don't speak well or if I stutter, people will judge me. Uh, but I pushed myself to go to a particular event and we sat around the couch and everybody was asked to introduce themselves. And when it came to me, I thought very carefully about how I wanted to introduce myself quickly. So it's interesting. And after I did the lady who ran the, the, the event, she came up to me and said, I really like how you spoke and how you introduced yourself. So we had a chat and she said, I've got something for you. Would you be interested in doing work with Ted expert as a speaker coach? And that's, it was, it was, it was the right place at the right time. However, I was never going to go to that event. The trauma I went through at home, and I remember speaking to my wife about it, saying, I don't want to go to this because my head wasn't right. I was really stressed. But because I pushed myself to go, that opportunity came. You got rewarded. Yeah. And that's been the case for, I'm not kidding, almost everything which has happened to me at Chatterbox has been because of that because I pushed myself and I've thought, nope, even if you're nervous about this, just do it and see what shakes out of it. It's almost meeting the universe halfway. Yeah. That's a oh, really good way to put it. Bring it. Yeah. And, and look, there's, there's, there's been a lot of, there's been a lot of, a lot of people have turned me down. A lot of people have said, no, no people. I, I, I I often talk about this because I, it, it's, it's very flattering that a lot of people are complimentary of what I've achieved in Chatterbox in a short amount of time. And I'm, I'm flattered by that. However, what people don't see is how many times I've heard no. Is the rejections, the no's, the... And sometimes it's been delivered really poorly. Some people have been pretty cruel about it. Yes. <laughs> Has that ever happened to you? Where you just get oh, flat out? Yeah, it's. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'd have come on your little poxy podcast. <laughs> and it and it it affects you. It affects your confidence. It affects your mindset. And but like anything, like at the start of this chat, you've got a choice. Either you panic or you take action about that. And. Mm. Every time I had, for every 10 times I heard a no, one person would say yes. And the one person who said yes, I would obsess and apply the process to that one person to make sure they would never forget me. And I just built from there. And I hope mm. that doesn't sound arrogant in any way, but that was no, just... No, it builds, it builds momentum and it builds confidence. You know, those those rejections, like you said, the, the amount of no's you know, I got, they, they came thick and fast at the start of this podcasting journey. And now they come less often. Um, and even when they do turn up, it's like, okay, still trying do you find? Do you find at all that, have you ever had people who've said, no, people have turned you down. Have any of those people ever come back to you and said, oh, now we'd love to be on your podcast? Has that ever happened to you? Yes. 
How have you dealt with that? Quite a few times. Um, I've, I've welcomed them back. And if I'm going to be really honest, you know, um, I, I, I listened to earlier episodes and of mine and the way I hold the conversation and interview people and the questions I ask. And now I'm, I'm, I trust my own intuition a lot more, more so than I did in the earlier times. And quite a few, I'd say most of the people who have come back, um, I, I welcome them with open arms and put it down to now is the time that we're going to talk and you're now going to get an even better experience because I'm two years on, I'm a year and a half on. And I think I've just become a little bit more, I don't know what the word is, but I just, I see it at a bigger level. Um, yeah, because every, uh, I learn something from every single conversation. Sure, sure. So I guess I look at it now in the fact that um, I, I never get any ha 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 now you're back and all of that because you know, I'm still eternally grateful for every single guest that 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 shares an hour an hour and a half with me and and, and talks. So sure, yes. So um, so what is the service that Chatterbox provides then, and who's who's the sort of clients that? that um, you engage with now? Sort of clients I engage with are people who want to work with me. And it's such a broad spectrum, as you can imagine. Student, I've, I've, I've worked with, with universities, I've worked with C-suite executives, and as you can appreciate, the levels of work between those two spectrums is very different. And quite simply, I do one-on-one -on -one coaching or group coaching. And I show people how to control their fear of speaking, become confident presenters, become world-class presenters, and even get to TED Talk level. Everything is tailored. So there is no one-size-fits-all approach. Everything is tailored to the individual or to the group that I work with. And it's all about how to speak with confidence, how to speak with authority, how to present well and you 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 apply that to to presentations at work speaking up in your meetings networking events doing ted talks the applications are so broad yes and i find most clients i work with once we're done there's a newfound appreciation of how tough the skill is and there's a newfound appreciation of how much confidence it builds in you internally and how that confidence then can be transferred to every aspect of your life so it's not just about the work presentation it's what you learn and what you build for your work presentation if you continue with the skill up applies to so much so much it's a lifelong skill which you walk away with i can i can imagine um you know the applicability not just the standing up presenting with a powerpoint and the people in the stage but like you said networking events you know 
first up interactions with people, everyday interactions with people. Um, this, what, what, what Osteo are doing now, I, this is public speaking. Yes. It's all. So Roger Love said, you know, whether it's one or a thousand, it's all public speaking. Yes. It doesn't matter whether you're talking to a client over a coffee or you're speaking at a keynote with a thousand people, the principles apply. And I, th and I guess for me, thinking about it at the moment is within all of us, there's, there's a beautiful spark to be expressed and to refine the skill so that you can express that beautiful spark that's within every single person so that we get a clearer, purer version of that beautiful spark is, is just incredible. Every single person has a story and you would know that you've interviewed so many people now with their own stories. Everybody has a story to tell. Everybody has experiences to share. Everybody has something which they would like to say. I'm, I'm making a big generalization here, but I'm assuming everybody's got something which they would like to say. Even the most shy, introverted person, They've all got Everybody something they want to say. Their story. Yes. And for some, I'm, I've, I've, I've worked with really confident introverts who have uh, a wonderful experience and a wonderful story. However, their ego is so big and their confidence is so much that it comes across in the wrong way. Whereas I've, I've worked with people who are the most shy, just, calm introverts have ever met and because they put so much time and effort into the way they want to deliver their talk it sounds incredible when it comes out and often I find it comes from the quiet people because they'll sit in their own time they'll think about it whereas and and this whereas often it's the more confident ones who feel we can do this you know we can we've we've got this down pat generally there's more work required there because you're almost challenging the knowledge and confidence that an extrovert has bringing them down to a level and saying yes i get your confidence however there's a way to do this and so when you challenge that to those sorts of people, it's a difficult conversation. Whereas yeah. it's an easier process to somebody who is willing to learn, mm. is willing to go through it. It's also, um, I can imagine, a very powerful, um, very powerful skill and tool that you give someone because to be able to stand up and confidently talk about something means that we have a bias towards you know an authoritative figure that can speak eloquently and so if somebody is eloquently and confidently presenting something which might not be entirely the truth <laughs> and I'm and I'm just reflecting on my own experience during 15 years of being a management consultant. And I remember one particular project, I'm not going to name anyone names here, but I, I was the person who 
we had a solution, um, an IT solution that had to be presented to a company. And as we looked across the whole team of 12, it was immediately, well, Bryn can talk, he can do it. And so I had to go and give five presentations back to back to back to back to different people. And um, I had to be convincing that it, that this solution was the best thing that we should be doing. And deep down, I wasn't bought into it, but I had to go and do it. And I remember, I remember getting home that day and saying to a friend, God, I feel like in all five of those presentations, I felt like I gave a, a chunk of my soul away. So <laughs> and you know that people can see it. Yes. People can see it when you're presenting and it's not authentic and it's not you. People can tell if you're nervous. People can tell if you're lying. People can tell if you're just, if, if as, as you said, if you aren't bought in what you're saying, if you aren't invested in what you're saying, you, your audience will know it. And it can do so much damage to your credibility. And often people won't say anything to you. Maybe one or two people will come up to you and say, oh, did you mean what you said? But let's face it, that's quite rare yes. that it actually happens. And I think... Yeah, the wall is something. Yeah, because, because you're walking away and thinking, yeah, I nailed that. But really, everyone's thinking, uh, we just saw right through you, mate. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes. People are very savvy now. Audiences yeah. are incredibly savvy now. You know, they're, they're, they come in armed and prepared with information that you, you don't even have, you weren't even aware of. And so I, I just find be, be you, be honest, be you. And I feel from a, from a speaker's perspective, from a presenter's perspective, nothing beats just being completely authentic. Yes. Embrace your vulnerability and be, be authentic. Let your audience see and feel that. And it makes a massive difference to, to how your presentation comes across. Of course, it's different if you're in a boardroom and you're giving a pitch to a board of directors about a project worth $10 million. You can't really, that's a whole different style of presenting. Yes. You know what I mean? Yes. <laughs> Yes, I don't do. show too much vulnerability in that. And <laughs> no. um, where, when you're when you're coaching people, um, is is the balance point between um, one of the, as, as I mentioned earlier on, I had quite exposure to sort of neurolinguistic programming, and one of the tenets there, which really stuck with me, was this: you know, the sum effectiveness of your communication can be summed up by the response you get from other people. Whereas if you tell somebody something, if they actually go and do the thing that you mentioned, then you put forwards, then you can, you can surmise that your, your communication was spot on. Whereas, you know, I've done a lot of coaching in the past with managers where they say, well, I told him to do this and he's gone and done something different. He must be stupid. And it's like, whoa, brother, wait a minute. Let's come back and look at how you've got the message across. And there's that balance between, or, or, or the, or the, the impact horizon of focusing on it, leaving your mouth, as opposed to going in the ears and into the brain. How, how do you deal with that in your coaching? 
slowing down. First, first and foremost, our brains think so much faster than our mouths can. It's, it's, it's why people often say, oh, I spoke too soon. Because your brain is thinking. And it doesn't mean you have to rattle off everything your brain is thinking. Uh, you, the way you deliver something is critical. Critical. I, I, I don't tell people what to do. I give people my opinion, I give them my expertise, and then I always encourage them to apply that to however it works best for them. And I, I feel the role of a coach is not to tell, but it's to, it's to explore ideas and opportunities so that the client, the person you're speaking to, can un unlock their, their own path. You know, you, you, you work with them to build a foundation for what the path is, but you want to see them understand that based on what Shills told me, this is how I need to apply. This is what I should do with it. And then if I feel it's being applied in the wrong way, I tell them, but depending on the sort of person it is, it's delivered in a specific way. And the conversation can be really difficult at times. It can be a tricky thing yeah. <laughs> because what I feel is delivered in a very gentle way to somebody might feel too aggressive. Whereas if I'm working with a CEO, generally they don't want things delivered in a simple way. They want it delivered in, tell me where I didn't do well. Just right. don't want you to sugarcoat it. Yeah. It, it is a challenge. However, I, I, I always come back to just slow down, think about what you want to say, think about the person you're speaking to. You've almost got to be two or three steps ahead. Mm. And I know now from working with so many different types of people, I've, I've got a pretty good feel on the personality types I work with. You can never be 100%, but I reckon I've got a pretty good feel of that now. <clears throat> And I know if I say something to someone, the scenarios, the two or three responses I might get and what I need to do to respond to their responses. And see, that, that's come from being, ha having to think about things at such an extreme scale constantly, being aware of things constantly, being aware of you know, when I... At, 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 at the peak of things when I couldn't even say my name, if I yes. have a conversation with somebody, me talking to you, and if I stuttered, I would see the reaction on you. I would, uh, I would sense why you flinched, why you moved your eye, or why you, why, you, why you grimaced your face. There would be all these things that I'd be able to pick up. And so I now apply that in all situations and I can read emotions and body language and I can feel, oops, I might not have delivered that correctly. So what do I need to do now to not to backtrack, but to ensure that I clarify what I've told you so that you feel comfortable and that you can now apply what I've said in your way. It really strikes me that, um, what has been an enormous challenge to you has turned into your superpower now. I use that analogy. Is that the word analogy? Yeah. I use that a lot actually, because what, what, what's, what's always been a fear and it still is a fear. 
what has always been my kryptonite over the years of, of being afraid and not being able to speak and not being able to communicate, I didn't realize that over time it's given me this increased awareness of people, body language, communication, you know, the art of being very selective with your words and placing your words carefully. So my kryptonite has turned into my superpower because it's forced me to think about things that m most people wouldn't have had to think about. Yes. At a very conscious level. Yeah. It's, it, it's, it's, it's this acute awareness of it being extremely aware of it. And it's, it's exhausting. <laughs> so obviously uh, the fear of public speaking is, is, is right up there apparently with snakes and or spiders or vertigo or something like that. At its core, because you, you will be dealing with this day in, day out, at its core, what is that fear? At its core, it's a combination of things. It's a fear of being judged, a fear of failure, a fear of not being respected, a fear of embarrassing yourself. It is a fear of, say if, I'm a, say if I'm an engineer and I'm a technical expert in my field, but when I present something, if I make a mistake or if I forget something, the fear I have is I'm no longer going to be seen as a technical expert. In some cases, it's a fear of your ego being smashed. Mm -hmm. the, it, it is a combination of all those things. We want to be liked. We want to be respected. We don't, we don't like failure. No one likes to fail. Failing and embarrassing yourself, or rather the thought of failing and embarrassing in front of people is awful. You know, how, how often, why are this, this, I hope this doesn't come across as a sexist comment, but understand why I'm going to say it the way I am. Why are so many men afraid of approaching girls in a bar? Because they don't be rejected. And, and why? It, it, it's, yes, it's the rejection, which affects yeah. your ego. But deep down, it's the rejection in front of other people. Yes. Who else has heard the rejection? What are they thinking of me now? Oh, my God, this is so embarrassing. I don't want to go through that again. It's the same principle. It's that fear of embarrassment and rejection in front of people. No one likes that. No one wants that. And it's what we think about. It's easy to say, get up there and think about success. But the stronger emotion is what happens if I fail? What will people yeah. think of me? What happens if I make a mistake? What happens if I forget my next, you know, if I forget a line or if I skip a slide? My boss is going to be in the room. What's my boss going to think of me? If you're delivering a wedding speech, your whole family is there. Your friends are there. What will they think of me? Whereas I say, you realize your wedding day is the most forgiving environment you can ever present in. You might deliver the most horrible speech. Everybody will laugh and love you for it. It's your wedding day. 
I'm not saying do that, but it's a different way of thinking about it. Whereas if you're in a boardroom delivering a pitch, a high risk pitch, there's more pressure. I had a little mindset shift a, a, a few years ago with the fact that all of a sudden it was, wow, as I stand up here in front of 100 people, I've now got 100 people's attention. How exciting is that? <laughs> See, that, that's also scary. It's exciting. Absolutely. It's scary. I've got 100 people's attention here. What happens if they don't like what I say? What happens if I lose their attention? What happens if there's somebody in the audience who I'm trying to impress? And because I say something that they don't agree with, they're, they're no longer impressed. What happens if there's somebody smarter than me? There's every single time I've presented, and I'm sure that's been the case with you as well, there are people smarter than us. Oh. All around. Tons of people. Heaps. Yeah. Most people I meet, most people, in fact, probably all people I meet, I think, you're way smarter than I am. I just, I know this. I know presenting. I, know, I don't know a thing about engineering or mining or IT or software. I, I just don't know about it. <laughs> and, and, and I think it's okay. And I tell people, it's, it's, it's okay to be like that. But if you can present and keep it simple and keep it clear and keep it easy to follow. No one's, you can't question that. Keep it simple, keep it easy to follow, keep it easy for people to digest and you're fine. You don't have to get caught up in jargon and technicalities because if you do that, you'll trip up. Your chances are you'll trip up. If you trip up, in front of an audience, you'll notice it. If you notice it, you'll stress. And that's when all these other emotions start to come in. Mm. It's not mm. worth it. It's this fear of not being accepted by your peers and by your colleagues. And it's a powerful emotion. It is. You know, on, on, on the same day, you can meet somebody who just you fall completely in love with and you can be stepping into a room with 50 people to present which emotion you do you think will will, will squash the other one <laughs> what thought process do you reckon will take you you'll think to yourself i can't wait to see this person but i've got to get through this presentation i'm so scared about this presentation <laughs> <laughs> so without giving the whole game away and, and, and what you do, what are some of the, if somebody's listening to this, what are some of the, the top two or three or four things that they can start to do to just even make small improvements in the way that they speak publicly? The easiest, sorry, not the easiest, the quickest thing which you can do is get your breathing under control. Mm. Get your breathing under control. You know, when, when you do something which causes stress and panic, you, you lose control of your breathing. Public speaking causes people to panic. When you panic, you experience a shortness of breath, which means you can't get your words out. So concentrate on your breathing, 
calm yourself down. And once you've done that, focus on clarity. Be absolutely clear on what you want to say. Be mm. clear on why you want to say it. Once you focus on your breathing, you have some clarity. Keep it simple. Keep, it, keep your message really simple. You might have something really complex and technical, but there's a beauty and an art when somebody can take a complex topic and simplify it. And from the audience perspective, it's easier for your audience to understand you. The best part of it is it's easier for you to, to, to deliver it. Yes. By keeping it simple. It causes less stress. So get your breathing under control. Understand exactly what you want to talk about. Be crystal clear on what your message is. And then keep it simple. Superb. Um, you mentioned uh, being part of TEDx. Um, that's become such a thing um, globally, as well as here in Perth, the, the, the TEDx Perth event. Um, what's it like being involved with that? I, there is no appropriate adjective. I can say amazing. I can say brilliant. Yes. But they're cliche terms. We hear them all the time. You know, it is. I, I, I can't believe I'm involved with them. But firstly, it's just, it's incredible. The feeling you have, there's a sense of community with TEDx Perth, which is amazing. Being a part of something like that, which, as you said, is, is so global now, is so respected and so well-known. I mean, if you think about it, TED is the pinnacle of public speaking. It is. If you've been on a TED stage and you've done a TED talk, well, you've, you've, you've made it in terms of public speaking. You know what I mean? And being able to work with speakers who get accepted to do a TED talk you meet some incredible people. You hear incredible stories. You build, you know, the friendships that are built with speakers and with some of the community are a lifelong. So it is, it's a privilege to be a part of it. And it's a privilege to be able to say that I'm associated with a brand like TEDx Perth. It's awesome. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I and I, I have a big smile on my face because I never ever ever imagined like that ten year old kid from Kenya who struggled to speak his whole life is now a speaker coach for TEDx Perth. It's yeah, it's bonkers, isn't it? <laughs> I, I, it, it? It makes me feel really good inside that I can call myself a coach for TEDx. Superb. Back um, to you, Chill, the person. How are, uh, what are you learning about yourself during this disrupted environment? Just, just during the disrupted environment? Mm, during this last three, four, five weeks. I've learned, I've learned there's more, 
the resilience and fight in me that I thought there would have been. I've learned, I've learned to be more appreciative of stuff. I've learned to be more appreciative of, I, I, I say this, you know, my, my mom and dad are in Kenya. They live in Kenya, which is where I'm originally from. My sister's in the UK. Yes, what we're going through here is not good. What the world is going through is not good. However, when I compare WA and the measures we've put in place, we're far ahead of a lot of places in the world. We're far ahead of what's happening in the UK. We're far ahead of what's happening in Kenya, especially. And Kenya is a developing country. You know, we're, we're, it's going to be tough when this, I, I feel it's going to be tough when this really hits. And so it's just going back a few steps and analyzing things and saying, yes, it's difficult. However, look at what we have here. Look at what the government's doing here to support people. Now, I, 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 I'm grateful for everything I have now, but what it's taught me especially is I have a lot more fight and resilience in me than what I thought I did. But it's also give, it's given me also a perspective of the world that I didn't think existed. You know, I've, I've, I've seen, I've seen the good side of people and I've seen the really bad side of people as I'm sure is the case with you as well. You know, we've, we've both seen the good and the bad of, the world we live in and what what I, for a while there i i went through a period of uh, uh, bad thoughts you know bad as 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 in um and and i'll say this go out and buy up all the stuff that i can because if we're going to lock down what do we do but then reframing the thoughts and saying well hang on there are people out there who, who will need it more so don't go out and panic. Just do what you normally do and be, be a normal person about it and things will come back. So it's been an evolution. It's been a learning curve inside me. It's taught me things about myself, which I, I'm glad. I'm happy for. Superb. So a sense of gratitude coming through there. A lot of gratitude. A lot of gratitude. And... and you know, we're in, in Kenya, there would be, you know, we come from a little island called Mombasa. And I remember growing up there, there'd be times where we would have no electricity. We'd have, we, if we went to the shops, we couldn't buy bread or milk. You know, we, we couldn't have a shower because the water supply cut off. And there'd be days on end with no power. So my dad would, my mom would like these candles, would sit in the living room. And as a family, we'd just bond and talk. And when I think back to those days, I mean, you know, my parents have done well. We live in a beautiful part of Kenya. However, it's Kenya. Yeah. <laughs> no matter where you live, you, you yeah. can't escape the fact that it's Kenya. The most beautiful lighting system, but there's no electricity. <laughs> no, when there's no electricity, it doesn't matter where you live. There's no electricity. Yeah. yeah and, but we have all that here. We have all that here. You know, we can shower. We can, there's, we can do this. We can do this. You know, there, there's still 
things are functioning, things are running. And so it's really made me as challenging as everything is. It makes me think, well, hang on, we still have all these things. We can take a shower. You know, we have internet. We have the ability to connect with people all over the world via Skype and Zoom and all these things to, to stay in touch. So just be grateful. And you know what? Things are still happening. You just, you have to work a bit harder. You have to look a bit harder and you have to fight a bit more to make things happen. And that's never a bad thing. Yeah. It's never, what do you think? I don't think it's a bad thing. I, I, I 100% agree with you. I think it's pulling the veil of um, many things that are, were very comfortable um, and comfortable while we'd like it can also be like a, a slow move. To me, sometimes comfort can be like this slow moving boa constrictor that goes around and round and round and round you until you are almost strangled by comfort. And so to have that removed while well, it is exposing and it is confronting. And now we have to deal with something called the unknown. And we have to be all right with sitting in the unknown, which previous guest I, I really enjoyed. He sort of said, if it was a muscle, it would be a very weak, if not nearly atrophied muscle. And now we're going to have to put some unknown muscle weight training in. And, and actually just be okay with sitting there and saying, I don't know. Yep. It'll, it, it, it will test, it'll test your relationships. It'll test friendships. It'll test family. It'll, I think there'll be. Test your identity. It'll test your identity. It'll test your resilience. It'll test, it'll show you who your friends are. It'll show you who you're, if, if, if we're talking about this from a business perspective, who your supportive clients are. It'll show you who your true industry colleagues are. There's so much about this which will expose and test and challenge. I love the muscle, muscle comparison. It is, you, know, you, you have to reprogram your whole day. We, we haven't got kids. But I imagine if you have kids and you're working from home, uh, if you've had a salary cut or you've lost your job and you're working from home and you don't have kids and you have bills and a mortgage and all these things to look after, I mean, it is a test of who you are as a person and how are you going to make it work? Yeah. There's so much to gain out of that. It is... And I hope this doesn't come across in the wrong way. It's certainly not intended to. I think the world needed this to reset itself. Yes. And please, I, I'm, I'm not saying this whole yes. thing is good. It's awful for the whole world. Still, yeah, it's still hard. However, when I read somewhere that when you, if, if you travel to Venice for the first time in ages, the gondolas, the water is so clear that you can see all the way to the bottom. Yes. But the, uh, and there was another stat. Don't, don't, don't quote me on this, but I think it was something along the lines of for the lives we've lost. And it's sad. We've lost a lot of lives because the environment is so much cleaner. 
it will extend your life for another three to four years because wow. the world is so much cleaner. And so then we get onto this topic of climate change, which is a whole different conversation, but is this good for the environment? Well, yes, it is. And I think the world just, it needs a reset. People need a reset. And this is the reset which is happening and we have to deal with it. It's, it's interesting as I, as I sort of chunk up and reflect across our conversation, Yes, you, there is the public speaking aspect and the skill that you've gained there. But when we talked about the fear that people face and go through, it's almost like a, a gateway that they go through with you to learn how to public speak and go through that, who am I, am I being judged, all that sort of challenges as an identity level. Um, in the past, by and large, whether I go in public, public speak can be optional. I, can, I could worm my way out of it. I could pass it on. You know, I gave the example earlier on where out of 12 people, it was, oh, Bryn, you best do it because you're the, you know, you're the person who can talk. And, and so there's 11 other people who got a free pass there. It's almost like now the boats are burning behind people and they've got to go and have that little existential identity level challenge at the moment of no there is nobody who has a free pass at the moment yes no one and yet yeah, my experiences in kenya with my fluency with public speaking i believe they have given me a resilience which i'm grateful for because I think the shill of three years ago, four years ago, actually I know the shill of four years ago wouldn't have dealt with this in the way that I'm dealing with it now. No way. No way. You know, I, I know that. Um, and so it, yeah. And I tell my wife about, about this as well. I tell her there's no, if, if, if this happened four, four years ago, five years ago, nah. I would have been the person that I'm saying, you have a choice, either you stress or you fight, and I would have been that, gone down a really bad stress hole. You'd have been eaten by it. I'll, I was going to say I would be eaten by it. <laughs> because you, you learn, you know, you learn through, not, through knockbacks, through failure, through just so much crap you learn that you can either look at the situation and say this is all i have or you can look at the situation and think right this is what i have and this is how i'm going to make this work and it's a mindset shift like that you, it's just like that really. same, same thing this person a who's got two cans of baked beans Person B has got two cans of baked beans. Person A goes, well, that's all I've got. Person B goes, I've got two cans of baked beans that will stretch me for two months. I can survive on this. I, I, I don't know why I use baked beans, but it just doesn't matter. doesn't matter, but you get it. <laughs> doesn't matter. <laughs> the last question that I ask all my guests, which I always enjoy asking people, is um, if you could take 
a little nugget and just upload it into the collective consciousness so everyone just gets it, what would that be? Wow, can, can, you, can you ask that question again, please, so I yep. completely understand it? So if you could take a little nugget, so this is Shill's nugget of wisdom, nugget of knowledge, pearl of wisdom, whatever you want to call it, and just upload it into the collective consciousness. Often guests find it helpful to consider Neo in the matrix when they go, and he goes, oh, I know Kung Fu. And so if you could, you like that. <laughs> so if, if you could upload something into the collective consciousness so everyone just gets it, what would that be? And you've just bought yourself enough time to think about it. <laughs> I, have. I, have. I see what you did. <laughs> I talk about stunning simplicity. Stunning simplicity. Keep things, keep it simple. When it's simple, you cannot, from a speaking perspective or really from any perspective, if you keep it simple, the results can be stunning. Stunning simplicity. It's whatever the situation is, keep it simple. If you're presenting, keep it simple. And I promise you by doing that, the results can be stunning. So stunning simplicity. It's a piece, it's, it's something I often talk about and, and, and I talk around it and I go into detail about it. But if there's a nugget, it's just those two words. Stunning simplicity. And probably now more than ever, just keep it simple. <laughs> Keep it simple. Just don't rush. Keep it simple. No one's going anywhere. Just relax. You know, uh, yeah. Imagine you're designing. Imagine you're designing your slides. Imagine you're, you're designing your tour. You're designing your response to somebody. Whatever it is. Stunning simplicity. Keep it simple and deliver it, and it'll be stunning. Outstanding. Jill, thank you so much for your time today. I have thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed it. Thank you. I've really enjoyed our conversation too. If, if someone wants to come and reach out and find you, where do they find you? My LinkedIn. I'm very active on my LinkedIn. You can look me up via my name, Shil Shangavi, or my website, chatterboxps, or one word, .com.au. Superb. Sure, thanks so much for your time. And you. Thank you.